0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Indian Religions podcast on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Monz Uh He is senior lecturer of comparative religion at Obo Academy uh, University in Finland. Um, and we're speaking on a really fascinating uh, text that he sort of put on the map, at least for me, uh, the Radha Tantra, a critical edition, and annotated translation. This is a 2017 Rutledge publication. Um Mons, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's a great pleasure being here.
1: Yes. Um, and it so happens that um, we're colleagues in the sense that you're a research fellow at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, are you not?
2: Yes, 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 that's a very exciting project. And I'm, I'm happy to be affiliated with them and, uh, and the great work they're doing.
1: Yes, I actually teach there. I'm a teacher there and I serve on the course development board. So we may or may not have roped uh, uh, Monsin for uh, a course that we'll announce at some point in the future, <laughs> but more to the point of this podcast. Um, the Radha Tantra. So, this must be a Vaishnava text. What is this Radha Tantra?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was my first thought as well, of course. I heard the name. It must be uh, an exciting Vaishnava text on Radha. Uh, I first came across the text in a a bookseller in in Kolkata. And uh, looking at it, I quickly realized that this is something strange. Now, uh, uh, I guess... For an ordinary person, the word strange doesn't have very positive connotations, but for a researcher, it usually does. So when I realized that this is something strange, I was immediately, uh, my curiosity was piqued, And and I wanted to see what exactly, what kind of a book is this? What I realized fairly soon is that uh, the Radha Tantra is a strange book in many ways. It's not a Tantra as one would expect. Usually tantric, Tantras deal primarily with ritual. The Radha Tantra speaks almost not at all about ritual. Rather, the Radha Tantra is a story. June McDaniel, in, in one of her, in an article on, on the Radha Tantra, she has called the Radha Tantra a Purana disguised as a, as a Tantra. And uh, she has a point in that that the main the main idea of the Radha is to retell the story of uh, Radha and Krishna, but from a Shakta perspective. So what we're having is uh, is an attempt to kind of take over the, the narrative, to, to, to take over the story of Radha and Krishna from the Vaishnavas and uh, give it the Shakta slant. All of this makes the Tantra an extremely fascinating text because uh, as I see it uh, it's it's a historical do- document describing uh, the Shakta response to Bengali Vaishnavism in, in the 17th century. This was a time when when Gaudiya or Bengali Vaishnavism was uh, was uh, growing and, and and very influential in Bengal. Uh, and a time when shaktas felt they were kind of under under pressure. So uh, uh, the Radha Tantra was uh, one attempt at kind of countering the narrative of the Vaishnavas, basically by saying that, that yes, go on worshipping Radha Krishna, but you, you should realize who they actually are, and that they actually, both of them, are devotees of the great goddess.
1: I couldn't help, I couldn't resist the impulse to compare in my mind this 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 <laughs> not so Vaishnava tantra um, to um, the Devi Mahatmya. It was the primary text, the text I dissertated on anyhow. Um, and where we see, you know, at the beginning of creation, um, at Pralaya Vishnu was uh, asleep, and uh, Madhu and Kaitaba threatened creation. But in this important reworking, it's the Devi's grace <laughs> that empowers Vishnu. This, this, uh, this, this reworking of material through the lens of Shaktism or really any whatever sectarian uh, angle. Um, it's it's brilliant, and the and the narratives so so lend themselves to to you know competent um, storytellers and exegetes to to rework them, and they're, they're so rich. And uh, as you were mentioning, June. June's description of this being a Purana described, uh, disguised as a Tantra. You know, it was only in the last maybe year or so that I've taken a closer look at the Devi Mahatmya, which I never thought was a Tantric text at all. And I see there are extraordinary Tantric themes encoded in the text covertly in, in narrative. So it really is. Really is a fascinating, exciting project. Before we dive a little more deeply into the content, tell us a little bit about the, you know this production of a quote-unquote critical edition. Tell us a bit about the journey, the manuscripts. Yeah. That might be a rich avenue of, of conversation.
2: For me, that was an extremely exciting and and, and fruitful uh, avenue of work. I, I'd never worked with manuscripts before this. This was the first time, uh, so it was very much also a uh, uh, a, pro- a process of, of learning re- really learning by doing going to different Indian uh, libraries uh, sometimes struggling with bureaucracy if, if you worked at any of the manuscript repositories in India you know that it's not always the easiest thing to actually get access or or to get uh, copies even taking your laptop into a, a, a library in India might entail having to fill out 10 or, or 12 uh, mm-hmm. Papers, so so things are not always so easy. But when you kind of get get uh, an understanding of the ro- of, of of which ropes to pull and so on, it's actually quite fun. So so what I did was I I traveled around trying to locate all manuscripts of the Rada Tantra listed in different catalogs. There's a, a, an excellent resource called the New Catalogus Catalogorum that's published by the University of Madras, they, they started with this project of, of incorporating all manuscripts catalogs in one kind of super catalog. And I think they started maybe in the 60s, so that is still ongoing. They, they've reached maybe volume 50 or so. So fortunately, they've done the letter Ra already. So Radhatan tries there. And I think I think they list about uh, 45 manuscripts uh, but uh, some of the, the catalogs they they list or, or they reference, uh, some of those manuscripts are not available anymore. So I was able to locate about about 35 manuscripts of the Radha Tantra. And, uh, and I examined all of them. Uh, in some cases, got uh, co- digital copies uh, of the, the, the ones that were the most interesting, and then uh, out of these 35, I I collated 17. That means I, I I went through them and compared them syllable after syllable with each other, uh, trying to figure out are there any differences in, in readings, are there any variants, and then uh, uh, gradually figuring out how these different uh, manuscripts relate to each other. This is a text that I think uh, was or, or I am convinced that it, it's it's a Bengali text. Most manuscripts are found in Bengal, but there are manuscripts elsewhere as well. Uh, in uh, in uh, in Vrindavan, there are some manuscripts. There are manuscripts in Varanasi, uh, up in Nepal, uh, and so on. So I I I did a bit of of traveling, and then with the, the help of of friends and colleagues, I was able to to collect uh, these manuscripts and and uh, and then start comparing them. And this was very useful for me because uh, I, I, I'm working on something similar now l- later on. But this Radha Tantra project book came out a few years back, like you mentioned. Uh, really was like my training ground in this kind of philological and text critical work, learning all these things about. Uh, uh, how to do do uh, textual criticism was was very useful. And I mean, you can learn all these things by reading books. But I find, uh, being not a very bright person myself, that the best way of learning is by doing. And uh, for me, this, this really worked in this
1: case. That probably means you're both bright and wise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I wish that was true, but I'm not so sure. But anyway, uh, uh, I learned many things doing this book, and there are some things I would do differently, of course today if I would redo this project. I don't think it was actually necessary to go through seventeen manuscripts in this way I could have I could have probably chosen fewer, but I wanted to kind of look at basically everything that's that's out there. Uh, this text, of course, is an obscure text. Uh, uh, 35 manuscripts may sound like a lot, but of course the Indian manuscript tradition is very different from the, the classical European one, where you, if you find 35 manuscripts of a text, that means it's hugely influential and popular. There are literally uh, hundreds and thousands of, of, maybe millions of Sanskrit manuscripts out there in, in different libraries in India. India. So 35 manuscripts of a text. Uh, It's not insignificant, but it's not a lot by any means.
1: Could you say a bit more about, in retrospect, and of course (laughs) um, um, uh, we all have brilliant ideas about making a book better the minute it's published, right? (laughs) But in in retrospect, you would have used fewer manuscripts. Could you share for us uh, why you say so and say a bit more about, okay, how do you go about reconciling differences or what's what's the what's the process you know what's the philological process of mm. of you know uh, condensing this into a critical edition mm.
2: well the reason why I said that I would use fewer manuscripts is that uh, uh, the, a, a critical edition basically has two two uh, 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 things that it tries to achieve one is to get as close as possible to the original text, the the archetype or the, the author's text. We don't have that from the Radha Tantra. We don't have the the author's manuscript. Of course, the Radha Tantra is written in the form of a of an uh, eternal ancient uh, Sanskrit uh, text spoken by, by Shiva to Devi. But... Uh, um, Based on on different things, I I think that it's written actually in the 17th century, mid-17th century. Uh, I haven't seen a single 17th century manuscript. I've seen one, maybe two 18th century manuscripts. So I don't get that close to the original. But uh, by comparing different manuscripts, I can see uh, the ways they differ from each other and the ways they are the same. And if I find a manuscript, let's say in... In Vrindavan, in Devanagari script, another one in Nepal, another one in Assam. And if they all have similar features, if they're all the same, the things that are common between these three uh, manuscripts probably say something about the original one. If there's something that is found only in the Nepali manuscript, but not in the other ones, I can probably think that that's something that is unique for the Nepali one. So comparing manuscripts like this uh, help me get as close as possible to the to the original text. But the second thing it does is that it also helps me see the differences. And that's an important thing of critical edition. Critical edition uh, notes all the differences. And the reason I said I would perhaps should have used fewer manuscripts at that, that is that lots of the 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 differences noted in the critical apparatus of my book uh, are really not very important ones there's somewhere th- somewhere there's a cha instead of two uh, and and so on th- these are, are 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 details showing differences between manuscripts but uh, they tend to kind of overshadow the more important differences so so the the critical apparatus gets kind of of uh, messy because of all of these uh, very minor minor differences. Uh, so, getting back to your question, uh, how do you determine the the original reading? When one one thing is is finding out these kind of recensions or, or groups of manuscripts. I found uh, when I looked at all these manuscripts, I found that they could be grouped in different different uh, uh, like bigger groups. But there are some groups that uh, shorten the text uh, because the, the the text itself is written in a kind of rambling style. So at some point, somebody had thought that we can make this text a little bit better by cutting out some of the extra stuff. So there's kind of a shortened version of the Radha Tantra. The, the, the original text has 37 chapters. The shortened one has 32 chapters. And uh, even within those chapters, some parts are taken off, taken out. So that's one variant, the shortened version. Uh, another group is what I call the corrected version. And, and one of the things, one of the kind of main findings that I, I got from this work with the Radha Tantra was that we sometimes tend to think that ancient Sanskrit texts they are corrupted by genera- generations of scribes and copyists. That you have a, an amazing ancient text that is then gradually uh, degenerated by careless copyists. And if there's a mistake in the text, that's because somebody has uh, uh, messed up in copying it. In the case of the Radhatan I found the opposite. There were manuscripts that, that tried to improve on the text. Because the text uh, doesn't represent faultless, Paninian Sanskrit. It's written by a person who wasn't terribly fluent in Sanskrit. There's lots of vernacular influences, lots of grammatical mistakes, usually uh, because of Bengali influence. The Sanskrit word for name, Naman, like in, in Harinama, is... Uh, is often treated as, it were, as if it was a, a noun ending in a, like Krishna. So you'll find forms like Hari namassya, the genitive uh, of the holy name or of Hari's name, which is totally wrong from the kind of standard Sanskrit rules uh, perspective. So sometimes scribes they correct these mistakes of the text. So there's one group of manuscripts where they tried to kind of fix the text. So instead of the text uh, uh, degenerating because of careless scribes, overseller scribes have instead tried to improve on it. So these are some of the kind of uh, differences between between the the manuscripts and some of the the recensions of the text.
1: Yeah, this is really fascinating. Um... Obviously, there are different schools of thought, and this is a very important question in the study of the Puranas in particular, uh, as to whether the extent to which the, the use or the production of critical editions. We recently had on the podcast um, uh, Peter Bishop and Yuko Yokochi who were involved in the Skanda Purana project. And one of the things that they were talking about that's really echoing is the extent to which critical editions not only artificially freeze. I mean, there's a perspective that they might freeze a tradition, and they actually show the dynamism of the tradition in that they're preserving variants. Obviously, there are decisions to be made about what's to be prioritized, um, conscious and unconscious decisions. But nevertheless, that the, the the process of producing a critical edition um, in many ways demonstrates the diversity of tradition, and and you can look at whatever end of the composition period for insight so it's a really interesting fascinating point um, that sort of painstaking work is not something that I could do so <laughs> my hat goes off to you <laughs> it takes a great deal of patience um, talk to us a little bit about the content so in in your publication uh, you have produced your critical edition uh, with with notes you know the Sanskrit text and then you actually translated it for readers in English. So tell us a bit about the, the, the structure uh, you mentioned earlier, the number of chapters and, and the essential sort of content of, mm-hmm. uh, of Tantra.
2: Yeah, thank you. Well, well, the book, basic, my book uh, has three parts, you could say. One is a, a fairly lengthy contextualizing introduction, then there's the, the critical text itself, and then, the, then an annotated translation at the end. Uh, the basic story of the radha tantra begins with uh, with vishnu in varanasi he's there in in shiva's holy city doing tapas but he can't get siddhi so so he's he's uh, unhappy about this and then uh, goddess tripura uh, appears before him uh, this is an interesting thing because the radha tantra it's very much a bengali uh, uh, kind of Kali Tantra style of text, but it has some influences of the Shrividya tradition that today you'll find mainly in South India. The Shrividya tradition uh, is also a tantric tradition, one of the main tantric traditions alive still today, where Goddess to Tripura is the main focus of of, of devotion and and uh, worship. Uh, so she features. Uh, Heavily in the beginning of the Radha Tantra, also her Sri Vidya mantra is given in, in code form there in the beginning. Anyway, so she tells uh, Vishnu that uh, he should meditate on uh, on her Vidya or her mantra. But really he needs to engage in Kulachara. Kulachara literally means clan behavior. Uh, And it refers, uh, in the context of of these kind of tantric texts, it refers to the sexual ritual. Uh, Not the kind of uh, sexual ritual of of modern uh, tantrism where by adding some ritual to your sex, you're kind of upgrading your sex. But it's the other way around. That by adding sex to your ritual, you're upgrading your ritual. So uh, she says that he needs to be born here on earth and then engage in uh, Kulachara. And she's going to send one of her duties, one of her uh, assistants, kind of a, a minor goddess, Padmini, to be born on earth as Radha. And Vishnu should be born as Krishna. And then they should engage in Kulachara together and then he will get Siddhi and then uh, everything will be resolved. So then that's what happens in the story. Uh, Vishnu is born as Krishna, and uh, Padmini is born as Radha. And uh, this is one of the central kind of uh, um, parts of the text for its continuing life. Because even though the Radha Tantra starts out in the way I described already as a kind of Shakta reply to Vaishnavism, the ones that actually read the Radha Tantra today uh, to the extent that it is read by anyone, uh, are actually Vaishnavas who see this as uh, an ancient Tantric text that uh, maybe says some strange things, but also contains some amazing lila or amazing uh, pastimes of Krishna. So Radha's birth is described in the Radha Tantra. Uh, Padmini is born then as Radha. She's born out of a lotus on the Yamuna River. And this story is retold by some Gaudiya Vaishnavas uh, today, sometimes even referencing the Radha Tantra. So, uh, she's born, uh, Krishna is there, they meet. But in many ways, the story is kind of a reversal of the story as, as uh, told by the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It's very much uh, a Radha who is in charge. And uh, she makes for she's saying to Krishna, for example, that uh, I'm not going to do any rituals with you. You're just an ordinary cowherd boy. So he has to kind of prove his divinity by by showing his four armed form as Vishnu. Uh, and then there's a whole kind of uh, kind of lit from a, the point of view of literature, the the, the kind of best or, or most fun part to read. Of the Praladatan is towards the end when there's a whole story about. Uh, uh, Radha and Krishna meeting on a boat in the Yamuna uh, and then uh, eventually engaging in the their rituals and then when they're done with the rituals, then Radha disappears. In The ordinary story of Radha and, and Krishna, of course it's Krishna who leaves Vrindavan, he goes to Mathura and then on to Dvaraka and Radha who remains crying after him. In the Radha Tantra it's the opposite Radha says, okay I've done my work, bye bye and then he's Krishna is left in Vrindavan crying his, his, his heart out after after Radha. And then eventually he goes to Mathura and Dvaraka and he builds a big temple for the great goddess and, and so on. And then at the, the end of the text, there's also uh, a hymn of uh, the thousand names of Radha. There's uh, a kavacha or kind of mystic armor uh, with Radha's names. Uh, and uh, another thing that the Radha Tantra does, which is 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 kind of fun, is that it uh, describes Vrindavana in great detail, making vrindavan not just the Vaishnava holy place, but uh, affiliating Vrindavan as well with Shaktism. There's there's this idea of the 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 these uh, Shaktapitas, fifty sacred places of Shakti all over India. This is uh, affiliate. Uh, this is connected with uh, the story of Sati and Daksha's sacrifice, which of course is a, uh, a uh, an important Puranic story that is retold in many different Puranas. And when uh, when Sati, uh, Shiva's first wife, she kills herself after being being. Hearing him being Shiva being abused by her father Daksha, she kills herself. And when Shiva finds out about that, he thrashes Daksha's sacrifice, and he he carries her body around, and he's completely overwhelmed by grief, dancing with her body in his uh, lap. So the the gods then decide that they need to get Shiva to calm down. So they think that the best way to to do that is to to make him drop the body. So Vishnu with his chakra, he cuts Sati's body up in pieces, and the pieces, they fall down from heaven down on in India. And the 50 places where these pieces fall down are then the Shakti uh, like centers of, of, of power. And one of those, the place where, where Sati's hair falls down, that's Vrindavan. So that's why Vrindavan is a holy place. Not because of Krishna being born there or anything like that but because of its affiliation with sati. And this Vrindavan, this kind of uh, uh, mystical Vrindavan, is then described in in great detail, but also given a kind of esoteric meaning, that uh, the external Vrindavan is there in in India, but there's a kind of internal Vrindavan found on the petals of the uh, inner lotuses of the body, So this is also described towards the end of the the Radha Tantra.
0: I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, protein-plus, and keto. These are two-minute meals... Slash NBN fifty to get fifty percent off.
1: This is it's it's so fascinating. Um, I have so many questions. Uh, um, one at a time, I suppose. Do you know if there is? Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned this in passing. Could you tell us a bit about the life of the text currently? Who engages the text, uh, if anyone? Um, is it ever uh, engaged in ritual or ritually chanted? P- part of the reason I ask is because of this Kavacham and this sort of Sahasranama of Radha. Mm-hmm. And, and so could you tell us a bit about the life of the text? Uh,
2: I don't know terribly much about it. I do know that uh, there's sometimes mentioned. I, I, I came across a newspaper article about the family in Kolkata doing worship of, of Krishna on, on the Kali Puja day he worship Krishna as Kali according to the radha tantra now the radha tantra doesn't give any direct directions like that but uh, uh, there is a a strong link between krishna and kali in the radha tantra krishna's body is is said to be black because it's uh, it's uh, connected with kali who's obviously black as well uh, but uh, there's an idea, of course, in the text that it that these uh, sahasranama kavachas and so on would be ritually used, but I don't know if anybody actually does that. There are uh, there are plenty of manuscripts with these kind of kavachas and sahasranamas and puja padhatis all over India, and there are many manuscripts also with Radha kavachas. But uh, the ones that I've looked at, and I've looked at such manuscripts in 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 Rajasthan and in 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 Bengal, uh, they are not actually the same kavachas as found in the Rada Tantra. So I don't think uh, I I don't I haven't seen any signs of it being really used ritually like that. It was printed. It's been printed many times. Uh, maybe I'll say something about that later. So 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 clearly there's been people reading it and and there are people reading it still today, but. Uh, as I mentioned before, the only only signs I've seen of, of people reading it and writing about it has usually been, been Vaishnavas, who then read it extremely selectively, just picking out a few places.
1: So why don't you comment on that now, about the printing, that it's popular in print. What did you want to say about that?
2: Well, what happens with the Tantra is something that happened with many uh, Indian texts. In the nineteenth and twentieth uh, century as well, uh, it's a little it's it's a while since I worked with the Radha Tantra now, but I think if I remember correctly, I looked at six editions of six printed editions of the the text. The first one being from uh, maybe eighteen seventy eight or something like that, uh, eighteen seventy four. And then 1886 and and so on. And uh, what struck me quite quickly when I looked at these editions was that they all just plagiarize each other. Every single one. The first edition, all the others, they use exactly the same text. They might add a different translation. They might add a different uh, introduction. But they use exactly the same text. Nobody bothers... To go back and look at any manuscripts they just take over the same text and reprint it add a few words of their own uh, this happens with many other texts as well it's not unique for the radha tantra but it's uh, for a blue-eyed uh, scholar who hasn't seen this before that was quite surprising to me
1: uh, what else um one of the questions i was going to ask you i might as well ask you now there's so much to me that's fascinating about this text and this project, but you know, what struck you the most, what really sort of was out of left field or what, what stayed with you? What, what, you know, what did you find most striking about this text or this project?
2: One thing was, uh, uh the way in which, uh, scribes tried to improve on it. That uh, I mentioned that already. The other thing that, uh, really taught me a lot and that I've had lots of, of, of use for afterwards in, in another project was the way in which the text engages in intertextuality. Uh, the Radha Tantra is, is written, as I said, in the form of, a, of an eternal Tantra. It's Shiva speaking to Devi. Devi sometimes asking questions and then Shiva is explaining things. But uh, the author of the Radha Tantra, he made extensive use of, of earlier texts on this topic. Uh, I first noticed this in the way how the text, as I mentioned, it uses a kind of sloppy uh, Sanskrit. Uh, And and one of the kind of most striking things in the the text, and you'll see that in the translation as well, uh, is how much it uses these kind of standard vocatives, maheshani, parameshani, devi, uh, and so on. Sometimes you'll have like like, uh, uh, shlokas where you have Maheshani like you'll have it in every single line. The author just filling it in with this so that what uh, a more competent author would have said in one shloka, the author of the Radha he needs two shlokas to say that because he he's not so competent in in, in, in in writing. But sometimes the language changes. And when I first noticed that, I was surprised. Wow, really changing gears here and, and, and using a much more grammatically correct and much more varied and much more kind of technically uh, astute Sanskrit until I noticed that those places have all been taken straight out of earlier books. Uh, for example, there are... Uh, two chapters in the Radha Tantra which describes Radha and Krishna and their friends and their clothes and their paraphernalia and their relatives and things like this. And I noticed that some of these verses sounded familiar. So I started digging into them and I noticed that these two chapters are taken straight out of Rupa Goswami's Radha Krishna Ganodde Shadipika, a 16th century Vaishnava text. So the author of the Radha Tantra he clearly had access to this Vaishnava text and he made use of it by uh, what we today would call plagiarizing it, but which usually scholars call textual reuse. That he, he used some parts of it that he thought were useful for his project, made some minimal changes uh, when Radha is called uh, the supreme goddess like in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. He changed that to something that suits his own purpose better, but generally just took in that whole text. There's another text called uh, Varaha Samhita, which is an unpublished Vaishnava text on uh, speaking about Vrindavan. Uh, it's uh, unpublished, but it's uh, available in, in uh, many manuscripts uh, in Bengal and, and Vrindavan. And this whole text is... Uh, taken into the Radha Tantra. All of this description of the Avrindavan with its different uh, layers and coverings and different parts, straight after the Raha Samhita, just some minimal changes made uh, to to make it it fit here. And similarly, the author of the Radha Tantra, he takes in stuff from other Tantras, from the Tordala Tantra uh, and other Tantras as well takes in verses as they are, sometimes modifying them a little bit. This, of course, is something that then helps me in in, in narrowing narrowing down the the date of the composition of the text by being able to, to check it with other texts. But it also says something about the social context of the book, that this is a time when these kind of texts were widely available, even by people who did not identify themselves as Vaishnavas, but they had access to these texts and they found them uh, uh, useful for their own uh, literary, literary work as well. So this was something that was very exciting for me and and really kind of trained me in, in being a kind of textual detective. Finding out from where some part is taken and from where something else. You
1: know, this really illumines for me. You know, I typically work on Older Puranas, so primarily the Markandeya, um, more and more the Mahabharata. But you know the Devi Mahatmya, as you probably well know, it was housed in the Markandeya, uh, the Surya Mahatmya, Um, and you know the process that you are describing and you're able to see in more detail because of the other contemporaneous texts. It seems like you have a crisper, clearer vision of something I suspect to be true of the Markandeya Purana as well, where there is this patchwork ethos it's a quilt and my sense is not that the author who knows but my sense is not that the authors would be expecting their readers to be ignorant that these verses are elsewhere or that they were passing them off as their own but this might be quite consciously done in order to link or connect I mean this in uh, the intertextuality of the Puranas can't be understated it's actually mystifying and profound the extent to which I mean the Markandeya Purana starts off by um, um, Jaimini asking Markandeya, hey I read the Mahabharata and I don't I don't know what this means so can you help me out here um, and so one wonders if that wasn't a common practice where various sections would be, lifted and incorporated i mean lifted really does sound like a, a more of a plagiaristic use but incorporated uh, consciously to sort of establish authority and to give credence to this new work and to to kind of represent it as maybe commenting on or reworking existing works mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that's um, quite, quite possible as well yeah it's it's it really is fascinating um uh, Earlier, you mentioned that the, the uh, Tripura Sundari uh, Srividya mantra is coded at the outset of this text. Could you say a little bit more about that?
2: Uh, well, uh, th- there's a kind of language in uh, in tantric texts for describing mantras. Uh, some mantras are, are held to be too sacred to kind of throw out to the public, just like that. So so you use kind of code words to indicate uh, how the mantra actually looks. Uh, instead of saying, uh, for example, cling, you speak about the Kama and, Bija and so on, uh, the the Shri Vidya Mantra, of course, is a very particular mantra. It's, it's uh, uh, it has a very uh, kind of it doesn't look like anything else. So so it's 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 described uh, in a way that if you don't know that you're kind of lo- what you're looking for, you're not going to recognize it. And and some of the. The, the early translations of the Radha Tantra, they, they don't catch this. They, they misunderstand these verses. They don't see what they're actually speaking about. There's many other examples like that in the, uh, w- with these early translations. And you can see that the translators, they were really mostly interested in the story. They didn't have the patience to, to sit down and, and uh, figure out all the details They wanted to kind of get the the, the main gist of the text, and that's fine, of course. Uh, But I had the privilege and the fortune to be able to really kind of get really nerdy with this text and and, and get into the details and and find out things like like when the author of the Radha Tantra made use of this, this Varaha Samhita text, He evidently had access to a a faulty manuscript of it because he's missing out some verses. Uh, Verses that you can see when you kind of really study the text, you realize that, wait a minute, he's describing here the north, and then he goes to the northeast, then he goes to the east, then he goes to the the southeast, and then he's suddenly in the southwest. He's skipping the south part. So, So... that verse is there in the Varaha Samhita, but it's not in the Radha Tantra, the one about the South. So he probably had access to a manuscript, maybe with some wormholes or something, where that that verse was missing. None of the previous editors of the Radha Tantra and publishers had noticed that there's a verse missing here, because they just hadn't read the text really carefully. So so I had the fortune, not because I'm I'm a better Sanskritist than these people were, definitely not but just because I had the, the privilege to to put down the time and effort on this text. And that's, of course, one of the the, the things we have to, to realize that uh, as modern scholars, we, we can criticize these early pioneering efforts of, of pundits in the 19th century or the 20th century. But they didn't have at all the same kind of facilities that we do. So uh, it's not that we're better scholars. We just have more, more facilities and more, more time on our hands and, and uh, uh, bigger libraries to use. I mean, nowadays you can log on on archive.org and you'll find books that just 10 years ago you had to travel all
1: around the world to find these books. It's a very important point. Um, uh, this is a, <laughs> it's a really fascinating work. Uh, that you have presented in your publication, is there anything else that you hoped we touch on before we close for today?
2: Um, another thing that i I think the Radha Tantra taught me was that there's uh, there's power in the Sanskrit language. People sometimes speak about the power of the Sanskrit language in the sen- sense of vibration and if you say the, the, the sounds of the Sanskrit language that will purify your mind and so on. And that's, of course, totally possible as well. But I don't mean that. I mean that there's power in the Sanskrit language in the sense of uh, uh, the things that people um, imagine when they hear about Sanskrit and when they see Sanskrit. So everything points to the Radha Tantra being written in the uh, 17th century really as a kind of slap in the face of the Vaishnavas. Uh, The the body of Krishna lovingly worshipped by Vaishnavas is in the Radha Tantra explicitly several times said to be made of matter. When Krishna dies, his body returns to the ground. Uh, Radha is not the supreme goddess of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. She's just a servant of Tripura. Uh, Krishna's Mahamantra the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna Mantra. Uh, That's all about Shiva and Shakti, according to the Radha Tantra. And it's also just a lower form of the mantra, meant just for Shudras. So it really is like a a slap in the face of, of the Vaishnavas. Nevertheless, because the Radha Tantra is written in Sanskrit, and not very good Sanskrit at that, but because it is written in Sanskrit and it has the name Tantra, Radha Tantra, a discussion between Devi and and, uh, Ishvara Shiva. Because of the power, the the implicit power of the Sanskrit language, uh, people today take it as a sacred, eternal book. And Vaishnavas read this book and see that, oh, this book mentions the Mahamantra. So this shows that the Mahamantra is an eternal mantra. And this book says some amazing stories about Radha and Krishna. So it's a valuable book, all through the power of Sanskrit. If this book had been written in Bengali, nobody would have cared about it. But because it's written in Sanskrit, it gets this kind of authority of, an, of a sacred text. So there's lots of power in language.
1: Fascinating. It seems that the uh, language of the gods has power in both sacred and secular realms. Um, thank thank you for appearing on the podcast today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: For those of you who have been listening, we have been speaking with Dr. Amon Brew on his fascinating uh, work on the Radha Tantra, his critical edition with annotated translation published by Rutledge, uh, 2017. Um Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating um, the power of the Great Goddess in her various forms. Take care.